If you have a Bible, turn in it, if you would, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, or a Bible app on your phone. Find it there if you would. Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. As you're turning there, I'll go ahead and read. It was read this earlier this morning, but I want to read it for us. Again, we've been talking about living an awestruck life and what that looks like. And we defined it at the very beginning of the series as an awestruck life is a life of willing obedience to God out of gratitude for receiving His grace. It's a desire to obey Christ, not out of fear, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but purely out of gratitude. And so there's this joy, there's this willingness to listen to Christ, to follow Christ. So when we talk about living an awestruck life of worship, that's what we mean, a life where we are willingly desiring to obey Christ out of gratitude for Him rescuing us from our sins. And so that's what we've been looking at over the past several Sundays. And this journey began with revelation, and then it moved into ruin, then repentance, then redemption, and then now we wrap it up with finally response. And I want to read this passage for us again and just kind of recap a little bit of where this journey has started and where we finished this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Revelation, God makes himself known to Isaiah. That's revelation, God declaring himself, and Isaiah is seeing God in all his glory and all his holiness, revelation. And Isaiah sees him seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke, and he cries, Woe to me, I am ruined. There's ruin. There's this deep awareness. Once you come into the presence of God and see God for who he really is, you become deeply aware and exposed for who you really are, which is a sinner, separate from God. That's ruin. Deeply aware that you are a sinner, deeply aware that you are deserving of God's judgment because of who you are as a sinner separate from him. But then he moves on from ruin to repentance. He acknowledges that. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Why? Going back to Revelation, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And what's beautiful here in verse six, and I made a mistake because he says, then, then is not a preposition. I was told, I said, then is a preposition last, last Sunday. It's not. So for those of you English people that were like, dude, how did he say that? He totally ruined our kids for the rest of their lives. I'm just telling you, I'm acknowledging my failure. It's not a preposition. All right, so then, all right, this is important here because what happens is God in his grace doesn't leave Isaiah ruined in that state of ruin. He says, then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for redemption, and that's pointing ultimately to the redemption that we receive in Christ. By redemption, rescue. We no longer have to stay separate from God. We no longer have to stay in our sin and shame. God in his grace and his love and mercy sends redemption to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and those who by faith receive him, he removes the the shame, removes the guilt, and forgives us of our sins so that we can be in his presence forever. That's redemption. And then 
from redemption in this journey, we move on. And it says here in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah replies, he responds, Here am I, send me. And then God says, Go and tell this people. Revelation, ruin, repentance, redemption, and now response. I want you to watch this video on the screen if you would. I love the response, right? Don't you love the response of the crowd? This spontaneous sense of shouting and clapping and just spontaneous singing in response to what they've just experienced and in response to who and what they've just encountered. And those are right and natural and even expected responses when you witness something like that. And what's amazing to me is every one of the responses physically expressed by the crowd is also mentioned in Scripture as acceptable, right, and even expected responses of God's people in response to who He is. Listen to what the psalmist said. He said, come everyone, clap your hands. Let's do that. Come on. Okay. That's an acceptable response to Jesus. All right. Now, some of us maybe grew up in environments where we're like, dude, you just don't do that. You just sinned. Okay, Bible says it's okay to clap your hands unto the Lord. It's all right? It's okay. Or I'm giving you permission. You can do that as a response to the Lord. He says, clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. I'm not quite sure what you shout, but yeah, Lord, I mean, whatever it might be, okay, just in response to who he is, that's okay. It's there. He says, shout to God in joyful praise. Sing praises to God. We do that on Sunday mornings. Hopefully you do that in your homes. You do that with your living communities. You're singing praises, and then the psalmist says, come, let us worship and bow down. And that's a response just out of reverence. When you understand that you are unworthy of being in his presence, he says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then he says, lift your hands. Let's go right here. Come on, do it. You're going to do it when your team scores a touchdown later, so might as well do it here, right? Okay, so this is an acceptable response and even expected response to God and who he is and what he has done for us. Lifting your hands, it's okay. All right, this is acceptable. It's, it's expected. And he says, lift your hands toward the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Now, this one some of us might struggle with, especially if you have no rhythm. He says, praise his name with dancing. Okay? Not quite sure what that's going to look like, okay, for some. All right? I, I don't know what it means. I mean, I'm just not quite sure. You know, praise the Lord with dancing. Okay, but that, that's acceptable. It's why it's there. Right? Those are right responses as a response to who God is. Not to bring glory to yourself. Like, check me out. Check my moves, man. Right in the middle of worship. Here I'm going. Like, ready? I'm breaking it. Here we go. No, okay, now you're the focus. No, that's not the focus. In response to who Jesus is and his redemption and what he's done for us, clapping your hands, shouting, lifting your hands, dancing, all those things are right and acceptable responses. They did it when a kid put a ball in the back of a net. You're going to do it later on today if you're watching a ball game and your team's going to score. I'm going to do it, especially if the Browns win. You will definitely not see me dancing live, but I will be dancing if they win. Okay? We do it all the time. And so you need to hear me. That's a right. Those are right, acceptable responses to who Jesus is. It's okay. So when we gather as a church, and man, you want to lift your hands? Lift your hands. If your heart is saying, God, yes, thank you. And you want to raise your hands, do it. If you want to clap, clap. You want to shout, shout. You want to do a little dance, go. In response to who he is and what he has done for us. 
But what's interesting to me is there's also a danger with those responses. The danger is this, that you can shout, you can dance, you can, I don't know why when I say dance I do that. I don't know why I do that, but just like I feel like it, right? You can dance, all right? You can shout, you can clap your hands, you can sing, all those different things. But there's a danger with that. And the danger is this, that we can do all this outward expression and yet our hearts have no desire to be obedient to Christ. We can come in here on Sunday, you can be in your home, you can worship together, Christ together as a living community, and you can bring it. I mean, you can just, hands are up in the air, and an hour later, you're looking at porn. Or you're treating your wife like junk. Or you're always yelling at your kids. Or you're talking about your husband behind his back, right? So we can have all the outward expressions in our hearts be far from him. That's why those are dangerous. They're dangerous. And even God says, listen, this is the problem I had with my people in Isaiah's day. Listen to what God has to say about his people. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. This is chapter 1, verse 15. Even if you offer prayers, I will not listen. These people come near me. Later, he talks about them in chapter 29, verse 13. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. He's saying this. They had the physical expressions of worship, and those are right, but the heart wasn't connected. They had no desire to be obedient to what God was telling them. They would come, they'd play church, they'd fake worship, and they'd go home, and they had no, you would have no clue that they wanted to follow Jesus the rest of the week. None. And that was the problem he had. This is important. What God says about his people here is very important to us because it reveals to us what God wants. You know what God wants? He wants your heart. He wants you And isn't that what you want? You want someone to want you for who you are. And God's going, I want you for the same reason you need me. I want your heart. That's what I want. And so when the physical expression is connected to the heart, whoa. But sometimes the physical expression isn't connected to the heart at all. And that's dangerous. And when we think of responses of worship, we think of lifting hands. We think of shouting or clapping our hands. We think of dancing right? We think of all those different things, but sometimes we forget that there's a response that God desires, and that response of worship is obedience. It's obedience. God connects here this obedience to worship, and then Jesus connects it too. Later on, he says this, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. So Jesus is connecting worship with obedience. He's connecting the heart with obedience. He's saying, if you love me, if you truly know me and you truly love me, you're going to do what I ask you to do. It's just a natural, right, and acceptable response to who Jesus is, is to do what he asks us to do. John, one of Jesus' closest disciples, said the same thing. He said this, this is love for God, 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. He's saying here's love. He connects the dot between worship, love, and obedience, the heart and obedience. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, said it this way in Romans 12. He said, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of having received this redemption, in view of having your sins forgiven and your shame gone, just sit on that for a little bit. That's crazy that that, that God does that for us. That if you're in Christ, 
Your guilt is wiped out. Your shame is done. You're forgiven of your sins forever and in his presence forever. That should just blow us away. And he says, in view of God doing that for you, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul now is connecting obedience to worship, obedience to the heart. He's saying, in view of the fact that God, out of his love for you and mercy, has redeemed you, the natural and right response is that you would offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him, that you would willingly surrender your life to him. So he makes this connection of, between obedience and worship, worship and obedience. And what we're going to see this morning is Isaiah's response. So here this journey to living an awestruck life of revelation, ruin, repentance, redemption, and now the response. And that's what we see here in verse 8. In verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 6, what we see is Isaiah's response to having received redemption, to having seen the Lord, and if we could sum up the series, it's this way. The journey to living an awestruck life in God begins with the revelation, I saw the Lord, and ends with the response, here am I, send me. It ends with mission. It ends there. And that's what we're going to see, Isaiah's response to having been forgiven in Christ is a response of willing obedience to Christ and his mission. And I want to unwrap this a little bit for us, just a couple observations. But as I do that, everyone needs to take a sheet of paper, if you would, because you're going to have some time later in a moment to work through some of this a little bit. Yep, yeah, do things a little bit differently this morning, so if you would, thank you. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, a couple observations about this response that we see here from Isaiah, the first observation that I want us to look at is that God has a mission for those he redeems. God has a mission for those he redeems. Look, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? I heard the voice of the Lord. Then, this is after, not a preposition, then, after he has received redemption. And now God's going, okay, I've redeemed you. I've redeemed you. I've set you free from your sin. Now, who's going to go for me? I'm going to sin. I'm looking to, to send someone. I'm looking to, to, for someone to go. Who's going to go? And what do, what do we see here? We see God saves Isaiah. Now he's going to send Isaiah. He saves him. Now he's going to send him. This is the one on the throne. Verse 1, seated on a throne. The one who's extended love and grace and mercy is now looking to send someone. And that just tells us God has a mission. And right here he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He says, I send who will go for us. Great passage to declare that we believe in the Trinity because we do. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. John chapter 12 verse 41 says that Isaiah, who Isaiah sees here is Jesus, Paul quotes this passage in Acts 28, 25 and says the one speaking is the Holy Spirit. So here you have team God from the throne basically going, listen, I've saved you. I've forgiven you of your sins. You're going to be with me forever. Now who's going to go? Who's going to go? Who can I send to carry out this mission that I have for people? And what it tells us is this, that God doesn't redeem us to sit. He redeems us to be sent. He redeems us to be sent. Jesus would echo the same word 700 plus years later when he says this. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God did not rescue you, did not redeem you so you could just sit and live your own life and live your dream and live your mission. He saved you so that you could be sent to live his mission because that's really 
where you're going to find your most joy is when you're living out His mission. So this is about God's glory, but it's also about your own joy. As someone who's been forgiven in Christ. So Jesus redeems us not to just sit, but to be sent. This is why sending is, that's why we prayed a sending prayer over Andrew and Taylor and Matt and Paige this morning. It's why sending is one of the practices we expect from our living communities. It's why we expect every disciple of Christ to live as a sent missionary, because that's who you are. You are a missionary. If you are redeemed in Christ, you are a disciple, and you therefore are a missionary because he has sent you. In 2007, our family was sent by a mission agency to the Republic of Ireland. At that time, Aislinn and Kate were not yet born. All right, that is us. That's Grant and Luke. And we were sent to the Republic of Ireland as missionaries, right? And rightfully so. I mean, that we have missionaries. We support missionaries. But I want to say this as well, that sometimes I think we can see this missionary thing as something that someone else does. But, you know, I'm not a missionary because I, I, I'm not going to a foreign field. I haven't been sent. That's, that's not right. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're sent. You are sent. Therefore, you are a missionary right where God has you, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the school you attend, wherever it is. That's where God has placed you. Therefore, he has sent you there with the purpose of living out his mission. And so you've been sent. And there's no way around it. God saved us not to sit, but to be sent. And then he says, "Here, go and tell people this message. We'll get back to Isaiah's response here in a moment. But he says in verse 9, Go and tell this people. So God not only saves Isaiah to be sent, he saves Isaiah to speak. To speak. And the message that God had Isaiah to speak was not a welcomed one. I mean, it's a message of discipline and judgment. And, I mean, he's basically telling the people, listen, y'all are in sin, and God's going to judge you for it. That was his message. And people could care less. They didn't want to listen to Isaiah. They didn't care what he had to say. But he just keep on, kept on speaking out the same message for Jesus. And he never wavered from it. Never wavered from it. So Jesus not only redeems you to be sent, he rescues you to speak. Paul said this, how can they hear without a preacher? Dwayne Lifton said this. He's a president emeritus at Wheaton College. He said, it's simply impossible to preach the gospel without words. The gospel is inherently verbal, and preaching the gospel is inherently verbal behavior. So God says, I want you to go, and I want you to tell. And I think one of the problems for us as church is we do a lot of going, which is good, and we do acts of kindness, which is right. But let me ask you, as I ask myself this question, when was the last time you told someone about Jesus that didn't know Jesus? When was the last time you told somebody your story? about Jesus has rescued you from sin and how much he means to you. When's the last time we've actually spoken the message of Jesus? See, Jesus has redeemed us. He set us free to not just sit, but to be sent, and not to be silent, but to speak. And we need to open our mouths, and we need to tell people this great Redeemer that we have in Jesus Christ. So who are we telling about Jesus? It's like in that crowd, the, the soccer boy, right? Man, you didn't have to be like, okay, guys, now's the time you need to erupt with noise. Ready? One, two, three. It was like, no. I mean, they're just like, that's awesome. They're crazy, shouting, they're clapping their hands, right? They didn't have, no one had to force them to make noise. What they had experienced and encountered was enough. But sometimes I wonder, has, is a cross enough for us? 
It absolutely is. But by our lack of speaking, would others see that it's enough for us? Jesus redeems us not to be silent, but to speak. So, so how, how does Isaiah respond here? Isaiah's response is this. He says, here am I, send me. Notice who responds to God's mission. It's those who've received redemption. It's those who've been forgiven. And his response is, here am I, send me. It's not this response like, all right, no one else is bringing fruitcake to the party. I'll go. No one else signed up to like, you know, do this. I might as well. Losers. I'm always volunteering to go do stuff for God. Right? Christians these days. No one volunteers for No. It's not that at all. It's not like he's not like looking around going, well, no one else is here. Just me and Jesus. I might as well go ahead and volunteer and go on Jesus' mission. That's not it. It's kind of like this. Now, I'm dating myself here, but those of you that remember the show Welcome Back, Cotter, back in the 70s, okay, in the 80s, there was this character, Google it later, YouTube it, whatever, okay, there was this guy named Horshack, right, and he was, it was a classroom setting, and he would always raise his hand, and he would go, oh, 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 the whole time, and I think that's what Isaiah is doing, and God's going, okay, I've saved you, and I got this mission thing that I'm going on, and I want you to jump into it because it's going to be awesome for you and awesome for me. And those people are going to tell. I got this thing going on, and so who can I send? Me. Send me. I will go. I'll do it. Hey, Jesus, I'm right here. Look, pick me. That's what I think Isaiah's response is. Here am I. Send me. See, the right and natural response to having been forgiven in Christ is to be sent and to go speak and to live Jesus' mission for Christ. That's the right and expected and natural response. And his motivation, I think the order here is important. The progression of this journey to get Isaiah to the point where he says, here am I, send me, I think it's very important. God makes himself known to Isaiah. Isaiah is overwhelmed and convicted by his own sin. He repents of that sin. God in his grace sends redemption and forgiveness to Isaiah. And now when he has a good picture of who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for him, he's like, I can't help but tell people about Jesus. I can't help but have people in my home and mess it up so that they can see Jesus in me. I can't help but have people and neighbors in my home for dinner and all these different things. And I know it's crazy and it's late nights, but that's why I'm here. I'm here to tell people about Jesus. That's, that, that, that's his point. And his motivation was grace, God's grace. His motivation was God's forgiveness. Someone said this, here in this matchless passage, we find the reason why so few are willing to serve God. They need above all the conviction of sin. Only when a man has been convicted of sin and has understood that the Redeemer has been born the guilt of a sin is he willing and ready, joyfully to serve God, to go wherever God may call him. You see, redemption moves you to live like a missionary. It moves you to live like a missionary. And what does this tell us? The strength of grace? Isaiah's life is an indicator and should reveal to you how strong God's grace is. Because Isaiah never, ever wavered from the message. When he kept telling it to a bunch of people that could care less about God, he kept telling the message. So much so that tradition tells us that as he was declaring Christ he ended up being sawed in half as a result of communicating the message of Jesus. That's how strong grace is. That's how strong of a motivation forgiveness from Christ is. They're strong enough to live God's mission 
And re- Jesus' redemption moves us to want to live his mission, not ours. And I have to wonder if we've never been to the point of here am I, send me, if we've truly ever seen the Lord. If we've never really been to the point where we've said, I surrender. I surrender. If we've, if we've never gotten to that point, I wonder if we've really seen the Lord. If we truly understand the cross and grace and forgiveness. Jesus does not redeem us to just sit, but to be sent. He does not redeem us to be silent, but to speak. And he redeems us and his grace is strong enough to move us to live his mission, not our own. Can you just imagine if every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus got that? If we just were so in love with Jesus, so overwhelmed by his grace, so just filled with gratitude for him removing our shame and our guilt that we just walk out of here, we're like, man, yeah, those neighbors we've been talking about having in our home or apartment, yes. And we want them to experience the hope and forgiveness of Jesus that we've, re- we've received. Imagine what that could do in a city, in our neighborhood, and maybe your apartment complex. The truth is this, the journey to living an awestruck life in God begins with the revelation, I saw the Lord, and it ends with, here am I, send me. And Hebrews 12, 28 says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I'm going to ask the band to come up if they would. You and I were created for awe. We were created to worship, and there are many responses of worship, right? There's a lifting of hands, there's a clapping of hands, there's the shouting, there's the dancing. There's all those different responses of worship that are right, acceptable, and expected in response to the Savior who has freed us from sin and forgiven us. But let us not forget that there's the response of obedience. There's the response of living out Christ's mission for His glory and for your joy. And so, I want to ask us this morning, where are you in the journey? When it comes to living this journey of being awestruck in God, where are you at? Maybe you're at redemption. Maybe you're here this morning, you're going, man, you know what? I've been playing this church thing, and I've been faking worship, but I realize this morning I do not know Jesus. Your response this morning, just surrender. Surrender your heart to Him and call out to Him, and the Bible says, Those who call out to him will be saved. He will rescue you from sin. But for most of us, I'm gathering, we're kind of at that response point. So here's how I want to end. They're just going to play, and on the back side of that sheet, you see some questions. I want to give you the liberty at this point to get up anywhere and move anywhere in the room that you want. Take a chair. If you don't, you sit on the floor. We're just going to take a few minutes. That's it. And I want you to just think through some of these questions this morning as it relates to your response to who Jesus is and where you are in the journey of living this awestruck life. If you want a pen, there's pens on the back tables. But just take a couple minutes, and then after a few minutes of just thinking through and talking to him about your response to who he is this morning, we'll close with a song. But where are you in the journey? And this morning, what is Jesus saying to you? And what is your here am I, send me response?